Welcome to Rebel Radio, the place to be for healers, coaches, and changemakers who are seeking answers, hungry for impact, and open to possibilities. Join us for casual and epic conversations for the healers and coaches willing to do what it takes to activate their limitless wealth through the power of unity consciousness and quantum numerology. The key to claiming your personal power, activating your purpose, and creating infinite possibility in your world. I am so excited for this episode of Rebel Radio. My guest today has been on the show twice before. So this is the magic number three, James Gardner, my friend, my colleague, someone that is near and dear to my heart. Welcome back to the show. Cindy Van. <laughs> How the hell are you? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for this conversation today. So you and I do a weekly show where we talk about the rhythm and the flow and throw in a little bit of coaching and strategy. So I've shared a lot of numerology with you over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what has been some of your biggest takeaways from understanding numerology a little bit more? Yeah. Well, first off, every time I think I understand it, you throw in another layer that obviously <laughs> kind of backpedal and, and have to uh, reassess. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's been interesting. You know, when we first met, uh, definitely science-based mindset. So I like strategy. I like numbers. I like uh, sequen sequencing, like it just, mm -hmm. you know, one plus one, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I think we, you know, you coined the phrase, it's cheat sheet for life. And, and, and I do feel that way. I feel that uh, it's really uh, been an eye-opener in terms of just a strategical way to set up the energy, the natural rhythm energy that we each have, that the days have, that the months and the years have, and, and just finding that flow. That's the big thing. That, that bridge to flow has been, been uh, amazing. Beautiful. I love it. So I have had the pleasure of reading your book. This book you have been working on for what, two years now? Just, yeah, basically two years, just about. Two years. I know you had started writing it when I first met you and you were the first, first time you came on Rebel Radio. And I've had the honor and privilege of reading it now. And I cannot wait for you to share it with the world. And today, tell us, tell us about the book, James. Tell us about this book. <laughs> well, Cindy, it, yes, it's been a two-year uh, labor of love and Honestly, it's been a life. It's been a lifetime, uh, and and it is as you know, it is my story. Uh, it's one of uh, one of James, one of Jim, and one of little Jimmy, all coming to understanding what life is, how to navigate life, uh, how to have fun, how to play, how to um, live each day in our own truth, and. Uh, let go of the expectation playbook that we're handed when we walk through that that doorway to adulthood yeah uh, so it's uh it's a journey it's mm -hmm. a journey to the hero within that's really what it is yeah yeah it is like no other book i've ever read this is not a personal development book it's not it's a memoir and yet it's not there's so many layers to this and the way I see it is just really a, a creative project of you putting your life's work out into the world. 
And I met you as James. I have always called you James. You were in the transition between Jim and James, and I refused to call you Jim. It wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> but little Jimmy, mm. Jimmy had asthma, and Jimmy spent lots of time in the hospital. Tell us about a little bit about Jimmy and that character and who you were back then. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, the, the, the one thing that we all have as adults is a common denominator is we were all children once. And we all had that ability to, to create our own masterpiece every day, the Beethoven in us. And, and for Jimmy, little Jimmy, uh, being a weak and frail, asthmatic child, was in the hospital a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, he turned to the power of dreams and, and the power of make-believe to, to ease his aloneness, to provide comfort. Uh, and to, you know, create a, a place for him to want to go to get away from where he was. Yeah. You know, um, and, and the little Jimmy uh, was into movies and Star Trek and space and, and all of those things and, and desperately wanted to be, do two things. He wanted to be an actor and wanted to be an athlete. Uh, that was a big thing for him. Um, and I think uh, for little Jimmy, even at a young age, he had this ability to to feel what others were feeling on screen or live the moment that he was seeing um, portrayed on the Zenith television, you know, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And little Jimmy had a lot of crushes on candy strippers. Little Jimmy, here's, yeah, little Jimmy, you know, those dreaded candy stripers, they were the dreaded, they were this mythical, as you know, this mythical society in the hospital, right? And, and so uh, Jimmy first got his seed of, of attention back then. And that obviously, as we'll talk about, festered into this, this wanting and this need, egoic need to be on stage under the lights, but it was really... You know, back in the hospital wing, reenacting a, a child's book to uh, to an audience of candy stripers, and the the actor was born. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, desire to be an athlete. Mm. That to me was one of the most powerful stories in the book at the beginning of the book. Anyways, was your journey into being an athlete and discovering what sport you wanted to get into. And, and you finally chose the sport of rowing. And I, I learned more about rowing than I knew, ever knew I could know <laughs> by reading the book. But I remember messaging you when I read that first mm. story and saying, Oh my God, this book has just made me ball my eyes out because it's so that story was so inspiring to see little Jimmy with asthma and always in the hospital to coming through to this big achievement. So tell us a little bit about the rowing part of your youth. Yeah, well, you know, the, like many things with little Jimmy and then Jimmy, uh, it, it stemmed from a movie, happened to be a nondescript movie. My dad came home with a VHS tucked under his arm and said, here, Jimmy, I think you might like this. And four hours later, I had watched it back to back 
And it was a movie about uh, rowing, and it was called Oxford Blues with Rob Lowe. Not a great movie, however. <laughs> Sorry, Rob Lowe. Sorry, Rob Lowe. I mean, it's it, you know, it's typical '80s coming of age stuff, uh, late '80s. But it was, um, it just captivated me. This this code, this brotherhood, this selfless bond to a to a to a goal. Um, and I said, I want to row. And, and, you know, I, my doctor told me I was literally nuts that it's too demanding of a sport for an asthmatic boy wonder, as I call myself in the book. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I said, well, screw that. And, and I went and uh, I, you know, the, I went to an auditorium. I'll never forget Monday, 7.30 PM auditorium room 101 slideshow, bunch of us all there mesmerized by this, this slideshow and this introduction into the sport. And the very next morning, uh, very next afternoon, I had to meet and run three miles, never ran three miles, never really ran a mile, never could do anything. Um, thankfully I had my little asthma puffer and I never gave up. Yeah. And, uh, the rest, the rest is, is kind of history. You know, rowing is, is rowing is something that's defined me as you know, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it's had its full circle moments in my life. It's come back in and come back in and, and it's just a, a huge thing for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And it's, it's thread throughout the whole book, which I love and that it really supported you when you were going through some tough times and mm. yeah. Love that. And I, and you know, true story, to just a sidebar, I mean, that that uh, series in the book, Nine Hearts, which is that, you know, which for me is probably, you know, I, I honestly, Cindy, it's probably the most defining period of my life. Yeah. Um, and at one point when I was in New York, <clears throat> later on in, in, in my career, Disney had expressed interest in a screenplay that I wrote about that season mm. and uh you know it's just it's i know i'm biased it's just a great story it yeah. is it is i can vouch for that <laughs> <laughs> I love it. so then new york happens Ugh, let's yeah. talk about new york because there's some fun stuff that happens in new york and there's some scary shit that happens in new york well what do you want to know cindy van i mean <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, 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 Jimmy went through rowing in university, gained a lot of confidence, gained a lot of courage, had the ability to say, Hey, why not me? I can, I, you know, I, I, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, entered a, a modeling contest. And before he knew it, he was signed with a talent agent and, and moving to New York and, and, and then wanted to be an actor, that little Jimmy. You know, that dream, that truthful dream never, never wavered. Yeah. And uh, those damn candy stripers, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, so Jim at this point in the story, Jim, now the young the man, um, young man, uh, pursued a career in, in, in the entertainment industry and, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, did, was on TV, was on stage, um, uh, found himself in some questionable situations 
<laughs> some questionable business choices, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you supported yourself like a lot of actors do behind the bar, serving drinks and slinging drinks late at night. And you got yourself mixed up with some shady characters. Tell us about the moment when you were on the boat and you thought you were going to die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was bartending at a, at a very upscale uh, Upper East Side uh, uh, hotel bar called the Stanhope Hotel, very old school Hollywood. Um, there was a, um, a millionaires and her, um, electrician handyman contractor uh, that started to come in uh, all the time and we became actually really good friends uh, and before I know it I, you know I was working for them and in their world so I was you know slinging drinks but then all of a sudden a few months later I was out at the Hamptons and hobnobbing and living that lifestyle a little bit when all of a sudden her bitter divorced husband or in divorce, they were in the process of divorce, wound up murdered. And this became, uh, you know, I, I even know what his estate was, I think valued at 90, $90 million or something. He was an investment broker. And, and here's little Jimmy um, because his best friend, Daniel at the time, suspect number one. So, uh, it was all over the news. I couldn't go anywhere. Paparazzi following me, obviously following Danny. Uh, and so what you're referring to is uh, I, you know, Danny, Danny's Danny, you know, Hey, <laughs> Jimmy, we're going for a ride. I'm like, okay, where are you taking me? Right. So he takes me out to the long Island uh, to see his uncle and they asked me to get on a boat and they start kind of pushing me in the boat and kind of pushing me up into the cabin of the boat. And, and, uh, I, I, you know, as you know, I literally looked down to see if I was standing on plastic tarp because I thought I was going to get whacked. Nowhere to lie. God's honest truth. Uh, and, and in retrospect, I mean, they, they were, they were pressuring me. They were seeing if I had, if I knew anything, if I was uh, talking to the police, et cetera, right? Because I was in that inner circle. So I was, at that time, I was privy to, to some information. Uh, so needless to say, I got home and had to change my drawers. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, nothing happened. Uh, but yeah, I'll never forget that. And, and of course, it you know, the case went on and it became one of the uh, most well-known murder cases in New York City history. Law & Order did their own standoff episode on it. I think it had two made-for-TV movies and even a book. Wow. Uh, and, and yeah, Jim was uh, center, center stage on that one. I remember as I was reading through your book, I was like, oh, now I need to Google this. And I would go and Google some of these stories. Right. And I remember texting you like, is this you? Is this you? 
<laughs> Such a fascinating story. Now, back to the athlete thing. You have suffered a sports injury, but it ain't from rowing. That's correct, Cindy Van. How did you do that? <laughs> so tell us about your torn ACL. Yeah, I, I blew out my ACL. Everyone always asks me how I blew out my ACL. No one ever really knows how I blew out my ACL. I tell people that I did it playing basketball. Mm -hmm. You weren't playing basketball, though. No, I wasn't. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I, I was a Chippendale dancer for uh, a while. I was one of the lead dancers uh, in New York City in the late 90s. And... Uh, yeah, Jim had a little epic fail in front of 250 screaming women in Pennsylvania uh, and and blew his knee out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish I, I wish it was more glamorous than that. However, I did go out in a in a blaze of glory. I actually finished the number. Uh, and I probably honestly, Cindy, I think I I think I got the loudest applause I've ever received on stage actually in my life making it through that disaster because it was just it was like keystone cops you know I, I couldn't walk i kept falling down kept tripping over the chair and oh, i was just a nightmare yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that was one of my favorite stories i love that story so let's talk about the the applause because mm -hmm. there is a thread throughout jim's part of his life where you were craving the, the applause and the attention and that led into you know you moving to la and just the, the dream of being on in movies and things like that let's talk about that a little bit yeah you know the i said earlier that the doorway to adulthood and and when jim uh went into the the new york arena and went in through that door of adulthood the, the fissure started to, the crack started to happen between little Jimmy and Jim. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, little Jimmy um, wanted the spotlight and the applause in a truthful, honest, sincere way of, of entertaining the candy stripers, you know, bringing smiles, bringing emotion. And for Jim, that applause started to, be an external form of validation yeah you know that that kind of egoic spotlight and and the fame and and i've been very privileged to have a lot of interactions with celebrities and and you know some of those things are in the book and and um even dated a few um women that, you know, are, are, are pretty well known. And, and it was all kind of this, this false sense of worth. You mean something, you know, and, and that applause kept going. And, and yeah, when I went to LA, you know, finally I was, I was, I spent 12 years in New York and then I went to LA for two years and and uh, there was one defining moment where I thought this was it. I thought all destiny had arrived. You know, everything was has led to this. All these serendipitous moments mm -hmm. added up. And I was there. And then I wasn't. Right. And, and the dream, the dream died. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, the dream died, and and with that death, 
if you will, the death of the dream came the absence of the child within, came the absence of little Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. Heartbreaking. And then, and then you moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. After a, a stint in LA, you moved to Canada and gave up your dream. And then you end up working with your wife's family. And then Broomhilda comes along. Broomhilda, yeah. You knew I was going to bring up Broomhilda. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... I <laughs> I moved, uh, everyone's like, Broomhilda. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. I you just moved. have to read the book. You're going to have to get the book and read it. I am, um, you know, I, I with, with the death of a dream comes the absence of joy, period. And, um, you know, when you're not living life through the eyes of a, the one, a wonder of an inner child, everything is dull. Mm -hmm. Everything is gray. Uh, I was unhappy. Um, even though I had an amazing life on the outside. And by that time, you know, I was running a, a, a very big hospitality resort, golf community. I was the director of operations. I had 250 employees underneath me, corner office, big salary. Woohoo! <laughs> Quite a and, change from Chippendales and bartending and acting. I know. I know, right? Um, I know. And uh, and then, you know, shit went sideways a little bit in the resort in this in this one particular position. And then this this woman, this Broomhilda, showed up um, and uh, and turned my life upside down. Uh, yeah. And and as I talk about in the book. Uh, this was this was a precursor to the to the whole Me Too movement, and um, I was uh, for eight months, nine months, I was mentally abused and and by this by this witch, <laughs> right? This this negative, horrible human being, unfortunately, or just. Obviously, now I can say objectively, obviously, the poor thing had her own stuff going on. Yeah. However, um, it, it, it turned my life upside down and, and anxiety and, and I had to go on medication. And, um, you know, I, I, I ended up walking away. Um, well, actually, that's not true. I ended up filing a, um, an official uh complaint with human resources. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And they let me go the very next day. They basically shit canned my ass the very next day mm -hmm. uh, to which I drug them through the, the coals of, uh, of wrongful dismissal with the labor board and, and sure as shit, I, I won, uh, you know, but uh, it just, it, it really brought to me this, this idea of, you know, we're all human beings and, and no one, no one needs to be at the, the harmful 
slings and arrows of someone else for 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 no apparent reason and and you know i i don't even as you know like i don't claim to even um there was nothing physical about that right it wasn't any type of sexual or or it was just mental but mm -hmm. that alone just really opened my eyes to to the bigger picture which is which we were talking about earlier right um so it was a it was a I will say that the, the, the Broom Hilda scenario was really the catalyst for this spot, this death spiral that began. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, and then after that, obviously, shit went south for me. And, and, uh, and then I had to go find myself. Yeah. 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 So shit really did go south. And I'll let your readers figure that out on their mm -hmm. own. Um, but one of the most inspiring pieces of your story is as we come to the end of the book and you become James, mm -hmm. the James Gardner that I know and love. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that death and rebirth process for you. Yeah, you know, I, I, I talk about in the work that I do in the world, I talk about my jungle event and, and uh, it, it it is going into the jungle of my own mind in the book. Uh, and I knew, I knew that, uh, you know, all the, some, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about now wasn't serving me, even my, even my rowing accolades later in life and, and, you know, the, the corner office and all that, again, that was the same as applause. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the attention I was getting from women, that's the same as, as, being back on uh, in a Chippendale stage, right? It was all external validation. So I knew I needed to go into the jungle. I needed to strip all that shit away and find myself. And, and ultimately, I, I, you know, I didn't know at the time, I just knew that I had to get to what I call the tree of life to be reborn. And for me, on that journey, then I, I I knew for me, my truth, because I talk about truth, is the inner child. Yeah. And and reconnecting to the little Jimmy that I let that I left in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, being reborn as James is it's a hybrid of James's Jim, but if James's little, little Jimmy is, you, you know, you know me, I, uh, little Jimmy's thing right here. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that's, that's the hero within uh, and we would, we all will be better human beings, better fathers, better lovers, partners, business associates. You know, if we all honor and, and connect or reconnect in my case to, to that child, um, because that's, that's purity. That's truth. Yeah. And we're not living on anyone else's terms. We're, we're, we're living on our own terms. And that's a powerful thing. It can be scary. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be scary. Uh, and it's, it's powerful. Mm. Total goosebumps. Total goosebumps. <laughs> Everybody needs to read this book. It is a, it's funny. It makes you laugh out loud. It's emotional. It makes you cry. And it's inspirational. It makes you feel like there's hope for everybody. And I just recommend this book. Like I can't even, words can't even 
just go get the book. <laughs> Thank you, James, for sharing it with me. And one of the things that you kind of alluded to when we were talking about Brumhilda is this idea that we're all humans and we're all experiencing this collective experience together. And of course, Rebel Radio, we talk about unity consciousness. I am very curious to know how you define unity consciousness. Mm. Especially after the journey that you've been on. Yeah, you know, well, <clears throat> we all have a story. Uh, we all live different lives and yet we're all ultimately connected. And part of that connection, that, that consciousness, um, is that common denominator how i how i started this conversation you know we were all children once and 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 um this idea of unity consciousness is i i, I truly believe that being present we always talk about in our world being present um who cindy who does it better than kids right right, right. They, they don't judge themselves. They are so innocent in their curiosity and their exploration of this world. And mm. they're not afraid to try new things and explore because the judgment's not there. So if we want a collective consciousness, be present with your inner child. You know, that, mm -hmm. that, that hand, that little tiny hand is, is it's outstretched. It's waiting for you. Yeah. Oh, so powerful. So what final thoughts would you like to leave us about your book, about the experience of writing it, about moving it out into the world? What would you like to share with us? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Cindy. You know, we I, we are all artists too. I, I feel that, you know, this creative spark is something that's, uh, that's a human condition across the board. We have different ways of expression. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think uh, expression is such a powerful conduit for growth. Mm -hmm. uh, this book, book process for me has been absolutely amazing. It's been cathartic. It's been uh, heartwarming. It, it's allowed me to reconnect to, to bits and pieces that I had forgotten. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I just, um, you know, my wish for the world and, and this book is to, is just to pause and, and look at each other's own lives. Uh, you know, we all have these beautiful full circle moments that are gifts. If we, if we just open our eyes and sit with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. My story is perhaps unique to many people, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, as you were saying, it's, th and thank you for what you said, Cindy, it, it's a book that you, unlike any book you've read. Yeah. Um, and that's because I'm different than you and someone else. We all have our stories. And so this book is, is, you know, it's me, it's film, it's fantasy, it's reality. Uh, it's big, the, the movie, big fish with Forrest Gump. I mean, some of the situations that, that my younger self finds himself in is just ludicrous. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of the day though, it's as simple as a little child yeah. begging the adult not to give up on a dream. Mm. Yeah, don't give up on your dreams. Yeah. So. so good. So good. James, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you. I appreciate being able to read your book before anyone else. I feel spoiled, rotten, <laughs> as per usual. <laughs> 
But as always, we end Rebel Radio with one last question. What do you dream of for the world? Play. Yeah. The wind through the hair as you're riding your bike down the street. And, and that can be found walking on the beach. That can be found in a conversation. That can be found in a, in a movie, uh, in a time of complete silence. Yeah. That's the inner child. Yeah. So good. Thank you, James. Thanks, Cindy Van. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another epic episode of Rebel Radio. If you feel so inspired and wish to expand the message of unity consciousness, please share this episode leave a review, and of course, if you want to know how to leverage this information in your own life and business, check out our website or contact us for more information. It is time for us all to seize our personal power, come into unity, and create massive impact together. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.